Welcome to Reclaim Your Health, the show for women who are committed to improving their health on the physical, emotional, and spiritual levels. Here are your hosts, Dr. Rachel Haviland and Genevieve Khan. Welcome to another episode of Reclaim Your Health. I'm Dr. Rachel Haviland. And I'm Genevieve Khan. And today we're going to be talking about how anxiety is just a symptom, not a diagnosis. And our guest today is Dr. David Hanscom. He's a retired orthopedic spine surgeon who specialized in treating complex spinal deformities. Much of his career was devoted to helping patients with prior failed spine surgeries. He practiced in Seattle, Washington. His approach to chronic pain evolved from dealing with his own 15 years of suffering with it. His book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, is the basic of the Direct Your Own Care program for both mental and physical pain. We're looking forward to finding out how that ties with anxiety. So welcome, Dr. David. Thanks. No, I'm very happy to be here. So I'd love to dive in first, you know, and look a little bit at your story because um, it's such a fascinating experience, which is directly relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. But I'll preface that by saying that learning how to handle stress is something that we all need to do. It's not something that's taught in schools. Most of us have no idea how to handle stress. Uh, except it's mounting more and more and becoming more and more prevalent, you know, as the years go by. And, you know, I I loved reading one of your blog posts where you said, you know, I was just taught to use positive thinking, uh, to tough it out. I started to build a wall around everything, but that really wasn't a good solution to the stress. And, uh, you know, basically uh, you said it was like pushing a rock up an endless hill and eventually you get worn out. Um, And that really made me think because, that's what pretty much what I was taught growing up, and that's clearly what you were taught growing up. Right. So I, I, I guess this is you know, really why we have so many issues these days. Stress levels are so high, and we just we have no idea how to handle it. Right. Well, in a way, stress levels are high, but think about living 200 years ago where there's no sanitation, no medical care. You could be killed by an Indians tomorrow. And so what's interesting is that the stress that we're dealing with is actually the mental stress, not the physical stress. What I also find interesting, you know, physician burnout right now is at about 60 to 70%. This is the residents in training right now are burning out at a rate of 69%. I, I can believe that. Yeah. And so if you're not having a good time, it's hard to help your patients. It's, when you're trying to survive, again, I would call my 15-year ordeal really a burnout. And what happens, it turns out, I mean, it's ironic is that I went to a very high-level spine fellowship. I prided myself on being extraordinarily tough, and I was. One of, my, one of my nicknames, which now in retrospect wasn't a compliment, but I took it at the time, was the brick. And I, I mean, the amount of stress on my plate was unbelievable, but it was part of my identity. It was stunning how much stress I could put on my plate and just keep moving forward. But one day I was driving across the 520 Bridge in Seattle at 10 o'clock at night, and I had a panic attack. And before that moment, I actually did not know what anxiety was. I just didn't. In fact, I had to look it up in a textbook when a patient came in with an anxiety disorder when I was 28 years old. Because what happened, the reason I came to this top spine fellowship program is that I was a master at suppressing stress, which by the way, I'll say most physicians, but really most professionals are that are, quote, successful, is that we just, we're tough. And that's our identity. That's our, sort of our badge of honor, right? So how can I go from literally no anxiety to panic attacks? in a day. And after it, from that point on, I cannot put the cat back in the bag. I could not do it. 
So I developed multiple panic attacks. I developed crippling anxiety. It kept getting worse and worse every year. By 1997, I developed a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder. And for those of you not familiar with that, there's the ultimate anxiety disorder. And I had the internal form, which is manifested by internal OCD, which are intrusive thoughts counteracted by positive thoughts. And it's this massive ping pong game that never stops. It is horrible. And I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. So I went to counseling. I was actually in psychotherapy for 13 solid years, once or twice a week. That's a lot of, that's a lot of psychotherapy and things got way worse. And it turns out that anxiety is actually not psychological. And the prognosis for OCD is horrible. It's a disease to be managed, not to be solved. And I'm not only fine, I'm actually thriving at a level I never thought I could thrive at before. Wow, that's great. It's, that's so interesting. I wonder if neurologically, because you're saying it's not a mental symptom, if it's the same thing, anxiety and OCD. And does the OCD, it sounds like it may have manifested from the original anxiety. Well, again, anxiety is not primarily psychological. So what I finally figured out, I mean, I've been struggling with this for almost 20 years, and literally it just hit me about six or eight weeks ago, the final picture. And of course, I don't get too attached to my wisdom because I can't learn more, right? But every living creature has some type of survival response. The species that did not pay attention to the, the environmental clues actually did survive. So you have a physical threat, your body secretes stress chemicals, you're more apt to survive. Once the threat is gone, the chemical reaction drops down, problem solved. Humans have the same response, but we have an additional problem that I call the curse of consciousness is that thoughts and concepts create the same chemical reaction, go to the same part of the brain, but you can't escape your thoughts. What happens is every human being is subjected to a baseline level of stress chemicals that's unpleasant. Some people a little bit, some people higher. And by the way, the more unpleasant you're childhood, the worse it is because you have more things in your life now that seem like a threat. That's why it was called adverse childhood experiences is such a big deal because when you were young and a child, and by the way, adverse childhood experience is simply a chaotic childhood. It's based on eight variables, parent with mental illness, parent with drug abuse, in prison, physical, emotional neglect, et cetera. It's just a number. And the higher your A score, the higher chance of having about 15 major medical problems including depression, death, PTSD, et cetera. I mean, it's really a big deal. Anytime you're anxious, something in the environment is a threat. Now, if it's a physical threat, fine. You can avoid it. Stress chemicals go down. But if it's your thoughts, what do you do? You can suffer with them. You can mask them, hence the opioid epidemic. Or you can suppress them, which I was unbelievable at. And I just completely dissociated from my background. I had an abusive background. At age 15, I literally shut the door of my life and moved forward. And for about 20 years, I did it. I had a great time. College, medical school, new adventures, residency, scholarship, it was fantastic. But that one out of the bridge at age 39, all of a sudden went bam, from nothing. I'd been through counseling. I was open to ideas. But what happened, I was a pressure cooker. And when the lid blew off, it was unbelievable. So I call it the curse of consciousness. You can't escape your thoughts. The reason why this is so critical is that, let's say you're lying on the beach, you're in the sun, your body's full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine, reward chemicals, serotonin, antidepressant. How do you feel? Depends you feel on really? what's going through your head, right? Right. 
Exactly. There right. you go. That is the key answer, by the way. I'm yeah. impressed. Well, the, the reason I say that is because as soon as you said, you know, imagine sitting on the beach, I was like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And I know, and I love being at the beach. I love listening to the waves. It's so relaxing, but it will take me a good hour to an hour and a half to actually relax. Right. Uh, calm my mind down, use some of my meditation techniques and mindfulness techniques to actually be present in the moment rather than letting my mind go all over the place. So uh, yes, that was my first thought when you said that. It's like, yeah, it takes me a while to calm down. Right. So that's a perfect example because when you're actually relaxed, full of these play chemicals, you actually feel relaxed, right? So relaxation is simply a description of your body's chemical state. That's not a diagnosis. When you're full of stress chemicals, you feel anxious, agitated, nervous, right? It's just a description of your body's chemical state. So anxiety, instead of using the word anxiety, just use the word elevated stress chemicals. Picture a big thermometer on the wall and just picture that I'm feeling pretty anxious or upset or whatever. Just visualize that thermometer going up or going down. So I'm going to ask you a question that nobody answers, but I'm just going to ask it rhetorically. So just for a teaching point, I'm not trying to be difficult. Okay, so you can't escape your thoughts. The unconscious brain processes 11 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. So every living creature has, this, has a survival response. We have the gift and the curse of consciousness that we, we can put a name on it. Remember that sensation is intended to be so unpleasant that it compels you to take action to survive. It's a survival feeling, right? Okay. So you're feeling nervous, upset, afraid. Just use the word, my stress chemicals are elevated. Okay? How do you decrease your anxiety? Now that's an interesting question because just if one says my stress chemicals are elevated, then what do you do about it? You know? Right. Well, the answer I'm looking for, I'm being a little bit silly here, but just decrease the stress chemicals. Yes, the, the right. opposite. Right. Yeah. So remember, you want to remember this massive survival response. It's just every, it's how you stay alive. You can't get rid of it. You don't want to get rid of it. But it's not who you are. Your rational brain, your identity, which makes your life enjoyable as a human being, is your rational brain, which, again, processes 40 bits of information per second compared to 11 million for the unconscious brain. Okay? So, again, you have sensory input physical sensations in your thoughts, they all get processed in the same area. Physical pain and emotional pain get processed in a similar part of the brain, same chemical reaction, but the chemical reaction from your thoughts and concepts are sustained. Okay, so there's two ways of decreasing stress chemicals. So again, the key issue here is that you are not your stress chemicals. So it keeps you alive. So there's two ways of decreasing the stress chemicals or decreasing your anxiety. One of them is directly, which you just talked about, like mindfulness, meditation, relaxation, exercise. All those things work, and they're important. The other way, which is a longer-term sustained part of it, which is equally as important, is neuroplasticity. We actually stimulate your brain to change response. What happens, we know the brain was in medical school. We thought the brain was static, that you only lost brain cells as you get older. We also know in chronic pain, by the way, people's brains actually physically shrink. When you treat chronic pain, people's brains physically re-expand. But what you're doing, you're dampening, dampening the response. So instead of being stress automatic survival response, it's stress less of a chemical reaction. Stress isn't the problem, it's a chemical reaction to it. 
Okay, so what you're doing, you're just working on chemical reaction. So it strikes me as I go through this process that the stress that you quote, people talk about managing stress. Well, the stress that's really stressful is the stress that you can't manage. You have 10 things you can manage and solve, but that one thing that you're trapped by, that's the problem. It's not a scorekeeping thing. It's what is your worst stress that you can't solve? And what happens, people actually, as their strategy, start decreasing their things that stress them out. The life does become smaller, which is fine. That's a, that's a reasonable way to do it. But the bottom line is your life starts to shrink instead of expand. So the neuroplasticity is three steps. One is awareness. The second part is separation. The third part is redirecting. Okay, so you can't, if you're just trying to fight the circuits by distracting yourself, that doesn't work because the circuits are running the show. So awareness means you have to allow yourself to feel the pain feel the anxiety, be with it, then you separate, and then you redirect. So the basic starting point, which is on the website, backincontrol.com, is called expressive writing. You simply write down your thoughts and tear them up. It can be positive or negative, it doesn't matter. You can't control your thoughts, but you can separate from them. And it can be five minutes, 10 minutes, once or twice a day. It is the one thing after 15 years of being in extreme chronic pain that broke the circuits. Within two weeks, things started to shift. It's the only part of the entire, what I call doc process, direct your own care process, that's mandatory. People really don't change until they actually take that step. There's a Dr. James Pennybaker out of Austin, Texas, who started the research in the 1980s. Dr. Wagner out of Harvard, Dr. Smythe out of Pennsylvania. There's over a thousand research papers that documents that this works, a thousand. It affects asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune disorders, depression, anxiety. It's unbelievable. So there's over a thousand research papers that says this work. So it's a starting point of awareness separation because the thoughts are on, on the table and you're here. Yes. And, okay. So, yeah, I was going to ask you if you could explain separation a little more. We, we were talking earlier before we got on about, you know, that we, we tend to take on anxiety as our as, as ourselves correct. when really it's it's not ourselves. Right. Um, but, but when you mean separation, so so you mean initially getting it out of your head and onto paper. So it's kind of literally a physical separation. It's now in correct. front of you on the table. But you also mean to a certain extent realizing that these thoughts are not you and they correct. are that you, you don't need to let them define who you are. Is that correct? Well, you can't help it. In other words, this is a powerful response, but the correct is you can't stop them from defining because you feel it. But what you do as you process these and separate, then actually you get to define who you are separately from that reaction. The key issue is people want to solve anxiety. They don't like it. And it's understandable. But again, the reason why you tear these pieces of paper up instantly is that the paper's on the table, you're here, that's now separated by vision and feel, which is part of the unconscious brain. And you, and you turn them up for two reasons. One is to write with freedom. And the second of all is to understand not to analyze them. Because when you write, all these issues come up, right? They're not issues. They're just thoughts. And so if you analyze them, where's your attention? So remember, the solution here is neuroplasticity. You want your brain to develop the direction that's positive. So I'm not into positive thinking, which, by the way, is a huge way of suppressing negative thinking. It's a positive vision. And so you have awareness separation. And then um, let me have you both just drop your shoulders for a second. We call it active meditation. It's about three to five seconds. We actually do this during surgery. Is that what you're doing? I call it active meditation. So about three to five seconds, as many times as a day as you can, 
just drop your shoulders, you know, feel the breeze, feel the chair. And what you've done, you've switched sensory input. You've gone from thoughts to a different sensation. Now, again, skilled meditators can do all this with meditation, no question about it. But most of us don't have time to do that. I don't have the skill to do that or the patience, by the way. I'm a surgeon and a male. Neither one of those are going to work for meditation. So I admire people who can meditate. You can do this for meditation because they separate from their thoughts and they live their life, right? But I don't know how many meditators actually do spine surgery. So bringing it into real life stresses is the problem because spine surgery is probably as stressful a surgery as you can do for lots of reasons. It's 10, 12 hours of surgery. It's really a rough gig and it's stressful. So if I wanted to avoid stress, I would quit being a spine surgeon. The only reason I quit being a spine surgeon, by the way, is, was actually to pursue this project. So I led my practice, but there's so much aggressive surgery being done for a neurological problem that were hurting people. I felt compelled to, literally to quit my practice to pull this process full time. So if a spine surgery is stressful, remember stresses are the problems, a chemical reaction to it. So as we teach our fellows and residents just to drop the shoulders for a second and go to feel mindfulness-based surgery, my complication rate probably, probably dropped 80% in the last 10 years. But remember, I'm going from racing thoughts to sensory input. What was fascinating for me is that at the end of my career, instead of having hundreds or maybe thousands of racing thoughts through surgery, because it's pretty anxiety-producing, I'd have maybe two in 10 hours because I was connected to the feel. It's about connected and engaged thinking. Right, right. And that's what you mean when you're talking about redirecting. It's redirecting right. from our head to our, to our body. Right. So the basic neuroplasticity step is awareness separation through writing, and then I call it active meditation for redirecting. The second stage on the website is the more complex way of awareness separation is forgiveness. So you had to allow yourself to feel the anger. In other words, you have to be aware that you're angry. So it's awareness of anger. The separation process is forgiveness, which is, by the way, a very selfish act. It's not a religious connotation at all. There's actually quite a bit of scientific research on this. And then the redirection is play. So if you think your body full of anger versus play, it's a huge difference in your chemical bath. And I tell my patients, you know, look, when you're trapped by anything, by the way, this relationship, money, pain, your body's full of stress chemicals to try to escape, right? I say, forget about the pain for a second. Think about a day where you're just angry. It's not a great day. Then you have the pain plus the anger. It's a horrible day. So that's the second phase of sort of awareness separation reprogramming. Now jump to the end of the story. The final phase is I call it the spiritual journey. Good food, good wine, good friends. Just in religious connotation if you'd like. But really just connecting with your perspective back because when people are trying to survive this, I'll use the word, elevated stress chemicals, then they can't be creative. They can't enjoy their life. They're reacting all the time. So that's the final solution is actually giving back, spiritual journey, getting perspective back. This is not a linear process. All these things happen at the same time, right? I mean, every day there's forgiveness to be done. Every day, is, I, if I could do my writing exercises, by the way, which again, I'll emphasize, is the one mandatory step. So if I quit doing my writing for about two or three weeks, then my symptoms come back. By the way, the part that I missed in our conversation earlier is that mental pain is by far and away the bigger problem than the physical pain. You have sustained exposure to your thoughts. You have elevated stress chemicals. We'll use the word anxiety now. And it translates into physical symptoms. Because as you both know very well, with your cancer work, you, you do know this, that when people are in a lot of stress, they have a higher chance of developing cancer. People get sick. There's a big study out of Sweden right now where they 
looked at 330,000 people in a registry. There's a very distinct link between chronic stress and autoimmune disorders. That's, that we've been suspicious of that for a long time, but it's now been very documented. There's over 30 symptoms of sustained levels of stress chemicals. I had 17 of them at the same time. I had no, Absolutely. I, yeah. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I can definitely see the connection to that. Uh, my mother uh, passed away due to metastatic breast cancer at age 50. Wow. And we believe it was because of the extremely high stress that she had to deal with. And the fact that she really didn't know much or care to know much about reclaiming her health. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, and that makes more sense. Uh, you know, the more stress that we experience, you know, the the more people are starting to suffer with autoimmune diseases and cancer and, you know, different types of diseases because we don't know how to manage it in the three-step way that you've just explained, which makes right. complete sense. So the root cause of all these physical symptoms is anxiety or elevated stress chemicals. So again, the key to the one message I'd like to give to the group here is that anxiety is a massive neurochemical response. It's necessary for survival. It's not who you are as a person. So you, you can't control it, but you have to learn to live with it. And as you assimilate anxiety in your life, learn how to process it, then you have the capacity to build a new life. The f- metaphor I think is really critical. There's a metaphor I use called learn another language. For instance, if you want to learn how to speak Spanish, you go to classes, you do repetition. But let's say in five years, you can now speak Spanish. What happened to your brain? Right? Something changed. Yeah, it developed. It's because of neuroplasticity, it developed and it literally gave you a greater capacity to learn. And you wouldn't call learning Spanish a psychological process, right? No. Like learning piano, (laughs) right? Okay. But see, this is happening. This is a repetition program. You have repetitive sensory input that gets embedded in your brain. By the way, the definition of chronic pain. It's an embedded memory that becomes connected with more and more life experiences, and the memory can't be erased. So now you speak Spanish, but you didn't speak Spanish by trying to avoid English, right? <laughs> so yes. remember the default language. <laughs> that would be interesting. Right. So the default language for humans or any animal is survival, which is stress chemicals. Between skin and the environment for danger and your thoughts, your default language is survival, which is adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, and stress chemicals. The solution with neuroplasticity is to create a vision. In other words, what do I want my life to look like? I call the new language an enjoyable life. With or without your pain, you start moving toward your vision. Good food, good wine, good friends, relaxation, exercise. You're not doing it obsessively to escape the pain because the pain would be running the show, but you literally have to allow yourself to feel the pain, be with the pain, then you redirect. So what you're doing is like building an internal computer within a computer or a virtual desktop. You now have a nervous system within your nervous system that actually doesn't have pain. It's not as reactive. And as you start doing this repetition, you can't fix yourself because your attention's on yourself. But you literally have to create the vision of what you want your life to look like. So instead of surviving a fiction, you're creating a vision. And as you pursue that vision, people go, I'm in pain. What are you talking about? But people want to fix themselves. It's the hardest part of this whole process that people want to fix themselves. It's also sort of like me trying to fix my bad golf swing. I just make my bad golf swing worse, right? And I wish I learned this 30 years ago because my golf swing now is permanently embedded. But anyway, it's just it's a, it's a programming issue. And your brain is going to – so think in terms of neuroplasticity, not survival. One of the biggest concepts I do want to leave people with is that the, the solution to – pain is connecting to your own capacity to heal, which allows you to relate your body's chemistry. And at the end of the, end of the day, it's about feeling safe. 
safe from your thoughts, safe from people around you. And if you learn these skills, you start, again, stress becomes a non-issue. I won't say a non-issue, but you don't have to, this is not about enjoying the stress. Nobody's asking you to, to be happy in something that's negative, but you're connecting to your own capacity to heal. And as you process stress, a lot of stresses sort of disappear. It's just the next thing to do. So as you learn to, again, decrease your stress chemicals with all these, again, direct tools in training your brain to be less reactive, not only do people feel, not only does the anxiety drop through the floor, people start to thrive at a level they never knew was possible before they develop chronic pain. There's been really, I mean, less than 20% of doctors are comfortable managing chronic pain, less than 1% enjoy it. And my staff and myself just had the best time the last five years of treating chronic pain. And not, when we say treating it, people want to manage chronic pain. It's a solvable problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so is this something that you've been using every day, this three-step process of awareness, separation, and redirection? There is. The, the way you solve chronic pain is, is oh, three steps. One of them is aware of your diagnosis and aware of chronic pain. So today we created awareness of chronic pain. The second part, you become aware of all the variables that affect you. Chronic pain is complicated. It's affected by sleep, stress, physical condition, medications, diet. All these things affect pain, right? Every one of them has to be treated simultaneously because it's a complex problem. Every, everybody has a different set of symptoms. What the book does, it grades pain into the different parts, which is different for every person. So you have to treat every part simultaneously. So by definition, the third part of healing is taking control of your own care. So it's awareness, treating every aspect at the same time, and taking control. That's how you solve chronic pain. By the way, it's not formulaic. This is every day. So for me personally, I have arthritis in my hips and knees. And by the way, there's very little correlation in the research of the severity of arthritis and severity of the pain. So for me, I write five or ten minutes a day, once or twice a day. I work my active meditation as much as I can. The key issue for me is the gym. Stretching, strengthening in the gym. If I quit working out, it's a huge, huge difference. I'm not a, my wife would laugh if I even mentioned the word diet because surgeons don't eat well, but I am trying more of an anti-inflammatory diet, which has been helping. And then the number one factor is sleep. We actually know that lack of sleep actually induces chronic pain. So on the website, there's those all steps are outlined in stages to look at it. Then the most fascinating one, I'd love to talk to your group about the family issues, is that if you're my patient, and I'm, I'll talk to you, Rachel, for a second, is that you're in my office, you have chronic neck pain, you've had it for five years. One of the things I would leave you, would tell you when you walked out of the door of my office, say, look, when you walk out of the door of my office, I never want you to discuss your pain ever again. Mm-hmm. Because we're, with, we're anyone? <laughs> with anyone? With except anyone, your, except your doctor, of course. But uh-huh. Including nobody, yourself? Your family. <laughs> Family, especially your friends and colleagues, you can't stop that, right? <laughs> but that's what the piece Redirect. of paper is for. Redirect. That's what the piece of paper is for, right? Yeah. Right. But I can't, well, again, their papers are So people say, I write and I write and I write and I'm not any better. Well, the writing is just the first step of the separation process. Remember, so we're in a separation. The writing is not the solution, it is the necessary first step. But if you talk about your pain, where's your attention? But I didn't realize yeah, that you, get, you, always, you always get more of what you talk about. And, that, and right. that's one of the challenges, you know. Especially when you're in chronic pain and people say, oh, how are you feeling today? Right. And yeah. if, you answer, if you answer them truthfully that you are in pain, then yes, you, you're focusing more on yeah. you know, and, uh, yourself more pain. Between trying to search for a cure, and I do this myself, 
and discussing your pain with anybody and everybody that will listen, people probably have their attention on the pain probably 70% of the day. And so I just say, stop, cannot do this, no exceptions. And it's hard. The first two weeks are hard, but it's a huge shift in the family dynamic because people in chronic pain wear their families out. People in chronic pain are angry and frustrated, so they take it out on their families. So there's a huge factor as far as the ACE scores in, in people with chronic pain. Yeah, and because you're, you're, yeah, you're then passing down the trauma to your kids. Right. You're programming because, your kids. Yeah, you're, you're, you're perpetuating it even more. So you Correct. may have been through abuse when you were young. Right. And that's, you know, delivering the, the anxiety and the chronic pain later right. on in life, which then perpetuates itself once you're in those family dynamics. And now your kids have a parent yep. who is, you know, suffer, suffering and, you know, it just perpetuates on and on. It's actually a little bit more direct than that. Have you heard of a process called mirror neurons? It was discovered in the 40s when they were doing primate experiments. And this researcher was walking down the center of this primate lab with eating peanuts. All of a sudden, all these EEG machines started to fire away, and they noticed that it was the appetite center that was firing away on all these monkeys. So what they've now found out when you smile at a baby, the baby smiles back because you stimulated that part of the baby's brain. And so it's called mirror neurons. If you walk in the house upset or angry, so that's one of the other rules we say for the family is that when you walk in the door of your house, never go into your house angry, ever, ever. Just stop at the door, you know, whatever you have to do, take a walk, just calm down before you walk through the door. Because if you walk in the door upset, it just all of a sudden your family's upset. I mean, it's not psychological, it's a direct stimulation of that part of the brain. So of course, now they're upset and they stimulate you back. It is massive universal cosmic ping pong game going on, which is very unpleasant and unstoppable, by the way. Remember, anytime you're triggered, and that's why I love to have a discussion about the family issues, because we found out we can do all these chronic pain treatments, but the, what's perverse about the human condition is that the deeper your relationship, the deeper the triggers. So again, you get this massive survival reflex compared to the rational brain. So what drives relationships apart is a neurological trick. You're just back and forth, back and forth. And so once you understand that problem, it doesn't go away. I mean, my wife and I both are on top of this. My wife helped publish the book. We've both been in a process called the Hoffman process, which does a lot of work de-energizing these family patterns. But if she irritates me, she just triggers something inside of me. It has nothing to do with her. The problem is it still feels like her, right? And I, and I had a tough background. My triggers are really deep. They're not going away. And so learning how to just separate my relationship with her from these triggers has been a huge process for us. So instead of surviving all this stuff, we actually get to thrive. But again, 11 million business information per second compared to 40, you can't, you can't solve it. So, but simply, I think just visualizing the thermometer on, thermometer on the wall, okay, there's my survival reaction, and this is who I am. That's another way of separating. I, I'm actually thinking out loud here as I talk to you, but this metaphor just came in about six or eight weeks ago. It's been really powerful for my patient. That was one 35-year-old girl who's the daughter of one of our best friends, and she's been in chronic pain since she was 10. High anxiety. She developed total body pain since she was 15, and she's been through every treatment you can imagine. Her parents have lots of means to solve her problem. And again, she's been everything you can imagine. Within three months after starting this process, she's fine. New job, new projects, minimal anxiety no pain, she's fine. And so again, that concept that my anxiety is not who I am, it's simply my survival reaction, 
So my elevated stress chemicals now help me stay alive. That's, that's a positive, right? If you look at anxiety as a negative, you're in trouble. One of my friends taught me, actually two of my mentors taught me, is that when you have adversity or have stress, it's actually an opportunity to practice your tools. So each time I deal with extreme stress, which still keeps coming at me, when I come out the other side of it, I'm just a freer person every time. So you learn to actually, I don't want to use the word embrace stress because that implies you want to like the stress. So the reactions are strong. It's just as unpleasant. They don't occur as often and they don't last as long. And they can last a few days. I mean, when I get really triggered, it's a big problem. But I have a little saying called no, no action in a reaction. In other words, when I'm reacting, I just zip it. Walk out of the room, zip it. I'm better at it some days than others. And I get to struggle with this like everybody else. But it's just it's made a huge difference for my wife and I. Huge. That's a that's a great way to look at it. It's almost as if looking at it, looking at stress, you can say it's an opportunity. Correct. Absolutely. So so another way, so it's interesting, I'm thinking out loud here again, but I came a major spine surgery by I literally embracing stress, but I did it in a way of suppressing. In other words, my attitude back then was just, I didn't feel the anxiety. I didn't feel the anger. I just suppressed it, which, by the way, is the basis for obsessive thought patterns. When you try not to think about something, you think about it more. It's a huge problem. And it's, again, a neurological trick that every human being has to deal with. So as incredible as suppressing stress, now I don't welcome it, but I just process it. So my thing is bring it up. I bring on the next thing. So I'm still doing the same thing, but I'm, it's just a different energy completely. I'm just not fighting it all the time. I have another guy who's 20. He's, again, the son of some good friends of mine. He's now 26. I started working with him. He was 22. Very smart guy, but he was so paralyzed with OCD, he couldn't finish his term papers because he was so perfectionistic. A gifted writer, extraordinarily smart. And I just talked to him about six months ago, and within probably six months after he started the writing exercise relaxation, Things started to shift enough that he finished college. But I know he saw it so quickly in China. So we're talking about six months ago with this metaphor we're talking about. And I just heard yesterday that he's just doing really well. He's got a girlfriend, maybe getting married, finished college, has a job. But he was so crippled by anxiety, his life was grinding to a halt, not moving forward. And by the way, there's no choice. If you don't process this correctly, it'll always get worse. It's like an athlete learning a skill with repetition. You get better with repetition, right? And so, again, it's not psychological. It's about neuroplasticity. So, again, thinking about the solution in terms of neuroplasticity as opposed to psychology, psychology is a fiction energy and your attention is the wrong direction. Neuroplasticity is the opposite direction. Now, I'm in favor of psychology in a big way. They can provide wisdom, guidance, support. But the idea that if you talk about a problem and understand it enough, it's just deadly because your attention's on the wrong direction. I tell my patients, you might as well put your hand right into a hornet's nest, right? So, no, I'm a, I'm a strong fan of psychology, but the new age of psychology is called acceptance commitment therapy. There's one called emotional acceptance awareness training, um, EMDR. All these things are helping move your brain go a different direction. And so, again, it's, a, it's about processing stress, not trying to. So we all think that if we know enough about something that somehow knowing our past really well is going to solve it. But again, you're reinforcing it. Yeah. When we're discovering these days that it doesn't work and that these new therapies, whether it's EMDR or the newer version ART, you know, can have uh, very rapid results in a short time, just as you said. Right. 
Yeah. So it's, remember, it's a, so it's a moving forward process, not a fixing process. Yeah. Yeah. This has been just so inspiring. Thank you so much. And, and yeah. just give so much hope to, to anyone who's listening, but uh, we are running out of time. So Jen, let's move into the wrap up round. Okay. Okay. So Dr. Hanscom, what is the best piece of life or health advice you've ever received? Start the expressive writing. So it's, it's really simple. A thousand research papers. I mean, I tried every, everything, over exercise, diet, lost weight, whatever it was, nothing happened. So within two weeks after I started the writing, things started to change, but I didn't know it was the writing. It took me another 10 years to know what the neuroscience was behind it. Again, I'll just rant for a second about medicine. There's over a thousand research papers that document that expressive writing works. There's actually not one research paper that documents that spine surgery works for back pain. We're spending $10 billion a year on spine surgery for back pain. So that if you had to do one thing is that just look at, understand chronic pain, really understand what anxiety actually is. It is the driving force. You know, what the writing does is simply, they call it mechanical meditation, simply separates you from those set of circuits. Yeah, that makes sense to me completely. Absolutely. What's a daily habit that has helped you reclaim your health? I suspect I might know the answer to this. <laughs> well, it's a combination. Sleep's a big one. Yeah. And um, the, the writing exercises, again, if I don't write at least even three minutes a day, within two or three weeks, these little skin rashes pop up, my ears start to ring, my feet start to burn. And so, again, I have 17 of these symptoms at the same time. And I find it fascinating. There's still a little bit of a suspended disbelief with me from it. Go, how can this exercise be so powerful? But going back to my little bit of rant about the data is that over a thousand research papers documenting that some form of it works. There wasn't one word of it in medical school, residency, fellowship, or practice, not one word of it. And how hard is it to do? Right. To not be simpler, right? So simple and so effective. Right. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. I, I just have a quick question about, about sleep because I imagine that um, a lot of people who are anxious struggle to sleep or fall asleep and then wake up and then can't get back to sleep because right. their anxious thoughts are, are keeping them awake. Right. right. So the only thing, so the, there's data showing that if you do some expressive writing before you go to sleep, helps you fall asleep. doesn't help you stay asleep by the way. And then if you're in really bad chronic pain or extreme anxiety, if I was your physician, I would just simply put your medications for, you know, six to 12 weeks. You had to break the cycle. There's a study out of Israel that shows that lack of sleep actually induces chronic pain. It's the cause of chronic pain. So without sleep, again, everything we talked about is somewhat moot. So sleep's number one. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Sleep is, yeah. is just paramount for, for health in general. But, right. um, you know, it, it's not surprising at all that you're saying that uh, that's the uh, daily habit that's so important. Right. Uh, now, what is a health resource or an app that you love that you could recommend, if you could, please? Well, I just honestly put people to my book and website because what it does is a hub. And so I don't put any specific recommendations on it. In other words, I'm not advocating a product here and there. So there's no email required. There's no advertising on it. It's, it's always going to be that way. I, I mean, there's other things I'm doing that'll be things I that'll be commercial products, but I want one part of this process to be completely available to the public. So it's completely open. And so I just ask people, it's not a fixing process. Jump on the website five or ten minutes, three times a week. Look at this as a very long-term process. It's a habit pattern. And just keep working out, just keep chipping away. Because again, I'm going to throw another concept out there that's very confusing and frustrating people, but there's no goal here, right? So what you're doing is that you're looking at these behavioral patterns that hold you down. 
just visualize a bunch of balloons tied to a railing. As you cut the strings, your balloons get to take off. You get to just be. So there's no place to go. Versus climbing this mountain without a top to it, you want to be a better you, but there's no end point. So it's just a process that the only thing that's real, we both know this intellectually, or all of us know intellectually, is just this very second we're in. That's it. So with or without your pain, this is it. If your goal is to be pain-free, first of all, mental pain never stops. That's a bigger problem. Second of all, you're monitoring yourself, which means your attention is on yourself. So again, you're shifting your nervous system to life and other people and giving back. And you'll have days where it's all on you and days where you're giving back. And so it's just this very second. So the process is about connected and engaged thinking, not about fixing yourself. So again, connecting to the very second you're in. That's what active meditation does, by the way. Just drop your shoulders for a second. And what it does, by definition, we all know that this is the only second we have to live. But what happens when you connect to a sensation, you're in that second. It's the one practical means of actually connecting to the second that you're in. Yeah, usually, you know, with meditation, I focus on, on the breathing, same thing. You take it from your thoughts to, to the feeling within your body. But again, going to meditation, again, people say, well, I'm using mindfulness to solve my pain. Remember, it's a multi-pronged process. So again, the reason why mindfulness meditation works is you decrease the stress chemicals. But unless you're sleeping, it sort of negates it, right? So that's why it's, you know, sleep could be 20%, stress management could be 20%, exercise another 20%. So it's an additive process that's different for every human being. That's why you should take charge of your own care. People say, well, I tried mindfulness. It didn't work. But probably help 15 20%, right? So it's that combination of things. Acupuncture can help. Chiropractic, massage, deep tissue massage, light touch massage. All those things change sensory input, calm you down. So again, the solution is connecting to your own capacity to heal, which essentially means feeling safe. Yeah, and I love the approach that you take. In it's it's almost like a lifestyle habit that you're introducing, just like right. eating healthily and just like you know getting movement or, or working out whatever suits you, and then introducing you know this awareness and separation and redirection as another life tool and habit. But remember, remember the answer to anxiety is control. When you lose control, you become angry. By in other words, secretes more stress chemicals to actually get, regain control. So anger and anxiety are the same thing. So people ask, well, how can I completely neglect my health? Why would a person completely ne neglect every aspect of their health? Okay, well, if you're trapped, you're by secreting high-stress chemicals. So anger is actually higher levels of stress chemicals, not psychological. It's a survival reaction that's destructive. So it's destructive to everything around you, to relationships, but it's also self-destructive. So what it is is, is like in a slow suicide when you neglect your health. So remember, the behavioral patterns always win. So intellectually, we all know we should be healthier. Remember that self-destructive aspect of anxiety, which is anger, is actually why people don't engage in health behaviors. With the ACE study in San Diego that started this whole thing, they had a weight loss program that was very successful. But they noticed that a lot of people went back to the weight they were before, but it was based on their ACE scores. That's what caught their attention. So we had a person who's 100 pounds overweight. They lose the weight. They feel great. Why would you go back to being 100 pounds overweight? Because it's self-destructive. And, the, and these behavioral patterns are so powerful that you can't fight them off. So they went right back to the behavior. So the behavioral patterns are key. That's what this process does. So you, everybody wants to be healthier, but the behavioral patterns always win. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. 
just yeah wonderful insights and, and such hope for for our listeners thank you so much yeah. if you could give our listeners one final piece of advice what would it be enjoy your day i'm serious that that is the key issue you just connect with what the day is so so again we can have a whole conversation about play there's actually lots of research on days so it's an attitude it's not obsessively playing to avoid the pain but again you have only the second we're in you have the day you have with without the pain Remember, you can't control the pain because anxiety essentially is the pain. But you just keep connecting with right in front of you, taking out your curiosity, gratitude, awareness, playful attitude, and things start to change because it changes your body's chemistry. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. So Dr. David Hanscom, thank you so much for being with us today. Now, what is the best way to, for folks to contact you? And if you have a gift, that would be great. Well, my website um, is backincontrol.com. There's a contact um, page on there. You can email me. And then there's two PDFs that you can download for free. Um, one's on anxiety. I'm sorry. One's on the family issues around chronic pain. The other one's on expressive writing. And those are free. You just have to hop on the website and pick those up. Then the books are available on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles and, and many bookstores has the book. And so I actually say, look, get to the website first. Start the exercises. The book's just a book, but you have to actually learn and practice the strategies outline develop that skill before actually solve the problem the website again is completely open source and no restrictions on it at all and uh it's just a long-term change of lifestyle but it's been extraordinary i mean probably 90 percent of it's self-directed you don't need a pain clinic you don't need lots of resources you become a director of your own care and it turns out to be just interesting lots of fun the mirror non the mirror neuron mirror neuron effect is contagious because you're happy, people are going to start becoming happier. Things can change dramatically within two to four weeks. So thank you so much again, Dr. David Hanscom, for um, being with us today. This has been a really great interview and a really great uh, way for our listeners to reclaim their health. So thank you very much. No, thank you. I'm excited to be on the show. I mean, what you what you're doing is completely in line with what I'm doing. And, and of course, I love having people that are so experienced with this to talk to me. So the great question, great interview. Um, love to talk to you again. It was great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Reclaim Your Health. Listen in to our past shows at reclaimyourhealth.us and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash reclaimyourhealthpodcast. Want to learn more? Download our simple steps to essential self-care at reclaimyourhealth.us slash free gifts.